Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. You are in the Transporter Room. Today, Jen Fry of Jen Fry Talks joins us in just a few minutes. But Carly, I wanted to start with Fallon Fox and the four myths, I say five myths, that our friend and colleague, co-founder Sid Ziegler of Outsports.com has put out there for the universe. Four facts that are just not facts. They're alternative alternate facts, facts. <laughs> <laughs> and myths. And for me, the fifth one of all the ones he laid out is all this nonsense about she's not a she, she's not a woman, she's a man, he's a man. No, she's a woman and you're a coward and a bigot if you say otherwise. Well, they've been picking on Fallon Fox for, for almost six years now since her last fight. To all the transphobes, stop. Leave Fallon Fox alone. Leave one of the bravest people in sports alone. But we know why they're doing this. They're doing this because they think it's easy fruit hanging from the tree, low hanging fruit. Well, that's and what they say, it Look is. Look at the pictures. She broke a woman's skull. She's a man. All these other no. things. And Sid laid it right out. And yeah. and I really and this is just another reason why I appreciate Sid Ziegler as an ally, because Absolutely. Sid was Sid has taken Sid has taken some hits for this. Oh, you know they they really came after him hard. Yeah, Sid has taken some hits for hits. Sid has taken criticism for it, and and I got to give Sid a lot of respect and a lot of credit. Didn't retreat. Didn't. No didn't play the fake ally role, stood in stood in the pocket and delivered. And once again, stood in the pocket and delivered. And But that just shows, again, the type of team that we have at Outsports that makes me proud to proud to be a part of this effort. Because well, we have people, you. yeah, well we have, well, we have people that are not only willing to say the word ally, they're willing to act in allyship. And that's that the ma I think that matters that a lot, matters. is that when allies stand up and say, no, this is not right, that's when we win. We, we don't win just based on trans people saying, oh, please pay attention to us. I mean, last week we had Mac Beggs. And Tori Gleason la on the last show last week. And they were talking about how, you know, we're here, we're here, like in Horton Hears Oh, And it's important for us to stand up. But when straight, cis, gay, bi, lesbian allies stand up and say, you know what? I'm not going to allow this to happen. That's when we win. Yeah, and and it takes that, and and again, I have to give a lot of credit, and I'm not the person. I don't give credit lightly. Oh, I'm, I know. I'm, tu I, I'm tougher. I hear that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm tougher. I'm, I'm I am am a I'm a believer that I'm I'm tougher on my allies than I am on my adversaries because I yes. expect nothing from my adversaries, but I expect a lot from community. allies. It's been and, a and when yeah, and but when people stand up and and when people stand up and are willing to show out. For what's right, you have to give. You have to fortify an ally like that. And but I gotta say, this Carly, article you know, the, does the this. Biggest enemy, though, are these white women. These white women who think they know all about women's sports. They don't give a crap about women's sports. They never have. They're just well, looking to basically protect spaces. No, no, they're looking for their piece of the patriarchy. Let's just mm -hmm. call this what it is. It's and misogyny. and and if and if and if you're you can't. I always tell people, don't be be a feminist, not a feminist. <laughs> And there's a difference between the two when you're trying to get if, if all if all this if all your feminism is about is getting your getting your piece of the patriarchy pie, 
then your feminism's not there. It's just not. And and that's what it comes down to. So at one level, leave Fallen Fox alone. But also, Dawn, I want to talk about the article you did earlier this week. Well, yeah, because we the trans the, the Republican American Confederate violence. transphobes just can't leave it alone, can they? Well, it's just ironic that the guy who was supposed to be the Supreme Court justice had to quote a ruling by the guy who got his seat, Neil Gorsuch, that basically said you cannot discriminate against transgender and gay people. And I think by extension, that means lesbians and bisexuals and queers too. But he had to sit there and take this dumb question from Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana, a staunch Republican, who basically said that it's unfair to women and it's fundamentally wrong and all this other stuff. And, you know, to his credit, he didn't get pinned down. He left himself some wiggle room. I would have liked to have had a more um, definitive response, like um, Jen Psaki, the uh, White House press secretary, said that transgender rights are human rights earlier this month. But I'll give him credit. He at least said everyone is worthy of dignity and respect. And that's and to me, that's the answer. To me, that's the I would love to see some of these people just cram it back. I like the once again, Jen Psaki with that C.J. Craig energy <laughs> just took it, just took it, stuck it right to him. And that's the way I think that people should answer. We're not going to go into those weeds about this. We have already made our statement. Trans rights are human rights. LGBTQ rights are 100 percent American. And this administration will defend them. End of story. Yeah. End and of he story. Did, he did say that he's going to uh, put the civil rights unit back to where it's supposed to be, defending actual civil rights. And did you know, I heard this on the news, I did not hear this before, any complaints filed in the last year, even while Trump was president, even while those idiots were running justice and education, any appeal for civil rights investigations will still be considered by this new administration. And and you know I think that's fair. There was a because there was a there was a a slew of complaints against what especially what a Betsy DeVos was doing. Oh, oh, I know oh, one oh. I know one thing I'd love I'm to see Merrick. Every time I hear that name, I know one oh. thing I'd love to see Merrick Garland do if if confirmed as Attorney General. I'd like to see Merrick Garland go to a district court in Connecticut and say, by order of the Department of Justice. This lawsuit is done. Get it out of here. Well, he I'd love to see him do that. All he can do is detach the department from the suit because it's not brought by the Department of Justice. They were just an ally or a co-signer or whatever. It's well, but, the but Alliance Defending Freedom. But, but by the way, the I'm loving this. Earlier this week, HuffPost reported that apparently all of the attacks against transgender athletes in state legislatures are being coordinated. <gasps> Wow. Duh! I've that a times already. <laughs> Duh! <laughs> ask a tra- ask any trans person you happen to see. Ask. <laughs> so why don't we get to our guest? Can you set yeah. coordinates for the Baltimore area where we have Jen Fry of Jen Fry Talks waiting to be beamed up? Energize. Jen, welcome to the transporter room. Thanks. This is the first time I've ever been beamed up. It's it's a pretty nice way. I mean, it's it's a nice smooth ride. My hair still look good. I appreciate y'all. It's faster than it's faster than the mass transit. I have to admit. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have to go through TSA. Even better. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we, we just, don't do any body cavity searches or anything. No, like we just that. we just got to make sure there's not two Jen Fries coming out of the transporter pad. That's no, no, the, we don't want to split her in two. The yeah. evil side, the evil Jen, and the nice Jen. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jen, I want to ask you first off, what motivated you to start Jen Fry Talks? Where did that come from? You know, it. I grew up in a majority minority city in Arizona, so I was never the only one, right? My volleyball coach was a black female, my track coach was a black male, my soccer coach was a Latinx male. So I never was the only person of color. Um, and then kind of through my journeys, you know, um, your eyes start to get kind of, you know, opened up a little bit more. And once I, I was at Illinois, we played for national championship. And then I went to um, Elon and it was there where my eyes just started to open up, right? And I heard this great quote on a podcast called I Am Athlete and it says, exposure leads to expansion. And I really like that because when I was there, I started to just see some stuff in a different lens and realizing that race and sport wasn't talked about the way I wanted it to be talked about, nor the actual topics I wanted to be talked about. And from that, I just, it really was kind of a decision of, you know, coming down to the last minute of if I'm going to stay in, in coaching volleyball, I'm going to forget about doing this or I'm just going to make a leap. And it got to be where the unknown felt safer than coaching something that I just was starting to get really resentful doing. And I felt like my vehicle of changing lives was just going to change, be different. And so that's just what made me jump and start my own company. Now, now Jen Fry talks, one of the one of the major things of your company is that you're walking into especially into intercollegiate athletic spaces athletic departments and you're talking about issues such as equity such as social justice such as care care of your athletes such as getting to know your athletes and all their facets where is what are you seeing in the landscape right now as far is there how big is the deficit between what the ncaa shows in their commercials during a ball game and the reality of what we're seeing on campuses in regard to equity in sport you know i would say that college athletic departments are literally a microcosm of everything that's going on right the what's going on in athletic departments in terms of diversity um, and equity is no different in the corporate spaces the k-12 through spaces organizations everything that is occurring in athletic departments is literally a microcosm. And I think we don't realize that when we're sitting in these athletic spaces, we tend to feel like we're the only ones going through this. But when I talk to my friends who do DEI in corporate, it's all the same things. It is a lack of diversity, a lack of um, equipping people to have the conversations, it's a lack of understanding what conflict looks like in healthy discourse. It, um, it kind of is all the same but it just manifest, manifests itself maybe in different ways um, per the different organizations. Now, following up, what conversations are we not having in, in sport in general that we should be having in regards to equity? I think the biggest thing is, is that our student athletes want to have the conversations. They want to have them, but the coaching staffs are the ones that are the uncomfortable ones. So from a lot of athletes, I've heard that they're like, we want to talk about it, but our coaches won't allow us to. Our coaches stop us, you know, and that's the biggest problem is that instead of meeting 
coaches where they're at, we need to meet the athletes where they're at. And that means that coaches are going to have to become more comfortable with being uncomfortable and having these conversations because that's the only way that we can really start moving forward is that coaches say, I know I'm going to be uncomfortable, but this is for the benefit of my athletes. I need to do this. So there's a lot of negativity in some circles around the words social justice. And sometimes people add on the W, social justice warrior. How do you combat that? Because for me, that's like, I scratch my head whenever somebody says, oh, that must be Antifa. And I'm like, aren't we all anti-fascists? <laughs> well, I think that's the thing of when you, when you shorten things, it, cha- it, it essentially can change, right? what it means like you know there was a great um comment by lawrence ross he said you know black lives matter don't shorten it to blm because people will then take blm and try and um equate it to kkk make them say black lives matter right so when people are talking and say blm do you mean black lives matter well then let's say black lives matter and so i think when we're talking about antifa and when you literally say well aren't we all anti-fascist it changes the conversation because yeah, we are, but, but, but it's like, no, well, if we are, then I don't understand what the problem is, right? So they've like managed to make these smaller words to try and differentiate when in reality, we all should be anti-fascist, right? We should Black Lives Matter, BLM, no, it's, it's Black Lives Matter. And asking people, well, do you think Black Lives Matter? Well, yes, I do. And then you'll hear the but, but not anymore. Well, we're not saying that. We're just simply asking if you think Black Lives Matter. And so when you say BLM, it allows them to try and, you know, hijack and change the conversation. And so that's why I think we have to understand words have power and definitions have power and to start naming that more and not allowing people to get away with like shortening stuff. Um, I think the idea of like this, you know, social justice warrior, like you'll hear like femme Nazi and like all of these like things that people make up. And it's like, well, what is a social justice warrior anyways? Is it someone that fights for equity for everyone? Shouldn't we all do that, right? Because you hear the people be like, well, I love everyone. Well, if you do, so then you'd be a social justice warrior too. And so again, it's this kind of hijacking uh, to make something different than what it really actually means. Now, you've been you've been doing this for four years and going into a lot of these spaces, but I'm sure that it's always a challenge, but I I see the challenge coming in a sharper context over these next couple of years to come. How do you think COVID will affect college sports and how will it affect in turn what you do? I mean, COVID already affecting college sports, right? The, if we really did got data on the mental health of these athletes, we see it's really, really bad. So I think COVID's already affecting everyone. I mean, we're having to be on Zoom all the time and how it is just really burning us out. We don't get to have that physical touch, you know, of um, seeing friends and hugging them, shaking hands, dap- like everything now you see someone you're like, uh, 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 hey, you know, and so we're, we're just not able to see people how we usually do. Um, you know, sports teams, athletic departments, athletes are always, you know, giving dap, hug- hugging, all this stuff that now they're not allowed to do. So like the physical touch part, I think being yanked out from them is really difficult. Um, you know, I, I think that COVID just means I stay in the virtual world more than being in person. Um, 
I love being in person because I get to the connection with people and, and they don't get to kind of turn it off, right? With Zoom, they can maybe turn off their cameras. They can put their camera up, their screen on, but still be doing work. But in person, like you are seeing them. So I think it takes a, it's going to take a little longer to go back to be in person on a more consistent basis. Um, I just think we have to navigate this online life, online learning, online persona. We just need to navigate it more. Um, and then also be, you know, before we do a lot of in-person stuff and our way out was like to play on our phones and social media. And now that's all we have now. So how do we kind of pull ourselves out of this to give ourselves some mental space? And that's something I'm trying to figure out how to do as well. Now, follow up to that. How do you deal when you get, how do you deal with it when you're doing a seminar, doing a consultation and you get pushback? How do you push through? I mean, I just, I do my research, right? The, the, when you push back, that's like, I tell people, that's fine. But understand I'm coming with, with research, you know, links, data, all of that stuff. And so pushback is fine, but it's, the pushback of like, well, this is just my opinion. No, you don't get to have just your opinion against my facts and data. Like if you're going to push back, then bring actual pushback. And I think that's the thing is that many people um, want to just push back with opinion if that's enough. And it's like, that's not enough. If you want to- My favorite quote, back, by the way, Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan is quoted as saying, everyone is entitled to their opinion. Not everyone is entitled to their own facts. Yes. Yes. And that's it. Right. Like you're not entitled to be like, well, this is just my opinion. Okay. Well, where'd that come from? Well, I don't know. This is just what I think, but that's not acceptable. Right. We're, we're, we're grownups. You should be able to say, this is where my information came from, or I need to look it up better. Right. The person that says, um, you know what, can you please tell me more? I'm not really educated on this. Those are the amazing people who are willing to acknowledge what they don't know to learn more versus like, well, this is just my knowledge. Well, where did it come from? Well, it's just my opinion. Well, we can agree get disagree. No, we can't because I'm actually researching stuff and you're just listening to random people talk about that and taking that as truth. And that's just not acceptable to me. So let me go over a few facts, real facts. <laughs> mm -hmm. Your pronouns are she, her. Mm -hmm. You have a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. You are not a member of the trans community, which we will forgive you for. <laughs> I do apologize, my friend. Thank you for allowing me in you, this you're not living. You're not living the level of life that we are and that's okay. We still welcome you. Thank you. But, but tell me why you're an ally, because you have a choice. You could sit on the sidelines. You don't have to stand up or put your neck out. We have to do it because, I mean, I, I remember when I came out, someone who I respect greatly and I love, an icon in the television news business said, well, you have a choice. You can either be an advocate or you can be a journalist. And I think I've proven him wrong over eight years that I can be both. You could have, as a cisgender person, just stayed on your sideline. Why would you be an ally of anybody LGBTQ? Because your sideline is my sideline. Like that, that literally has never even come to my mind of, of like differentiating the sidelines, right? Like if you, I'm on the bench, you're on the bench next to me. And so I always think that's, interesting when people are like you have a choice and and to me i'm like but do i really because i don't feel like there's a choice in advocating for other human beings like i mean i'll be very honest like being called an ally i don't want to say it weirds me out but it kind of does because i'm like we should all be doing this work this is like like i i just like to me the idea of standing 
on the back burner where, where, where people's lives are being devalued and destroyed. What? Like, I just, I can't fathom people who, who do that. And like you said, make the choice. Like, that's not a choice for me to, that was never even a thought to say like, at this point, do I step out or do I stand back? That's never been a choice. My thought has always been like, how hard do I go at people? Because I want to give them a little breath, but I also want to put my, my foot on their neck because I'm not going to let them think what they're saying is okay. So that like, that really has never been a thought to me of, of standing down. It just never has. Well, I can tell you one thing, Don, I was told the same thing at the beginning of my journalism career. You can be an advocate or you can be a journalist. And I looked at my boss at the TV station I worked at in Omaha and said, I got into journalism to advocate because no one because no one advocated for me behind that mic. Because most and I, I hate to make this an ageist thing, but most older cisgender people have no idea what intersectionality is or why it's important. They see in like almost like they're in only two dimensions while we're in three. Or, yeah, that is the truth. But, Janet, something from the article that you were quoted in Outsports saying this, and I want to get your take on that. We have to talk about how people have been socialized to look at trans folks as others and how this idea of inclusiveness means you can be in my surroundings, but you really can't do anything. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on how much that attitude is coming is coming out when we're talking especially about the recent flap right now in 23 states, you're looking at legislation to keep transgender youth out of competitive sport. What's your thoughts on that legislation and that attitude surrounding the centering of why those why people are supporting this legislation? Well, you know, the first question I started to ask people of like, well, what does support mean to you? If someone can't do X, Y, and Z, what, what does support mean? And what does inclusion mean? If you're saying, you know, because you always hear they're like, well, you know, I support them to do what they want and I believe in inclusion, but they can't do this. I'm like, well, what's inclusion mean then? Like that they can walk around you, but that's about it. That they can shop at the grocery store with you. Like what does inclusion and support really mean? And then I also ask him, if your child was to be trans, would you want them to be able to play sports? And you hear, yeah, I support them, I'd go, but what? But but there's nothing then. If you would want, if you wouldn't want this done to your kid, why do you want it done to other kids? And I think the problem is many people don't think that their kid could be trans, right? It's like it, it can happen to other people, but it won't, my kids won't, it won't happen to them. I'm like, no, it's anybody's kids, it's anyone's family's friends. So this idea of inclusion and support is like thinking of it really saying, if my kid were to be trans, how would I want them treated and supported? And that's why I try and lead with of like, what is support? What's inclusion? If your child was trans, would you want them to not be able to do X, Y, and Z? And so I think it's for them, they, they try and separate it and not make it well, this, this, I could be the parent of a trans kid and how would I want them to be treated? So I try and make it very personal to them and make them think about that way. But also like this legislation is bullshit. I mean, like some of it, like having to do like actual genital exams, like you literally want kids to be touched in order to, to prove that they can play a sport. I mean, like the length that people and legislators will go is just appalling. I mean, absolutely appalling. And I mean, 
Carly, I think we've, we've, you know, you've shown me the data on how many athletes are playing in the NCAA that are trans. How many of them are like in the power five? How many of them are doing anything, right? Because it's this idea, I think Don, you mentioned, it was like this idea of like taking something away from women's sports. And, you know, if, if trans women are playing, then they're going to be, and I'm like, but you're assuming they're going to be the tallest, the best, the hardest hitting, the like you're assuming all of that stuff. And the truth is that's just proven to be false. There right? are examples. I mean, let's put it this way. There are stereotypes. Mm -hmm. There's, but that's also like saying every WNBA player is a lesbian mm -hmm. or every uh, baseball player in the MLB is a wife beater or something mm -hmm. because that's what happens sometimes in domestic violence or a drug user. I mean, these stereotypes happen because there are incidents and there are tall, strong trans women, but there are also small, petite and light trans women. I mean, it, we come in all varieties. <laughs> well, and I think about when I was at Illinois, my front line at one point was six, three, six, five, and six, seven. So you, you're going to sit here and try and tell me that trans women are going to be the biggest. In college, I played against a girl who was 6'11". So you tell me what's the difference than what we're already seeing now with women athletes who are jumping high. We have, we have volleyball players touching 11 foot. Like what, what's going to change? Our sport is already getting bigger, stronger, faster in terms of volleyball, we're seeing basketball, um, you know, people are dunking. So what's going to be the change? And I think people don't realize that, right? They're having this mindset that all in volleyball, all volleyball players are like five, nine. I'm like, no, I literally had six, three, six, five, six, seven. I covered, co I covered college volleyball at a program that won three national championships. And let me just put it this way. If you're playing the Nebraska Cornhuskers, you're going to have to knock a ball through a lot of tall towers. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of real estate that you got to get a volleyball over. Mm -hmm. And but you know what it really comes down to is there are, the whole concept of transphobia in sports comes down to two th two things that people believe about women's athletics, and both of them are false. Number one, trans women are not women, and number two, cisgender women are inept at sport. Mm, they're yes. both false it's transphobia and misogyny working hand in hand it goes like pb and j and it's not anywhere near as appetizing and i think that's what people really have to understand you're not protecting i, I find it interesting that people who say i want to protect women's sports by lifting their leg on it mm -hmm. by belittling the accomplishments of championship at college. an image oh my goodness no, but but that's what they're I'm calling it what it is, because to me, that's what it's doing as a person, as a sports journalist and even and more so as a sports fan. I find it I find it insulting. I find it insulting that great athletes and I find it insulting that a legendary athlete who I'm not going to name, but she knows who she is, would actually trade in defaming her own legacy to support that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, we hear that sound, so it's time for us to take a break. we got to pay some bills. When we come back, I have a question for Jen. And I, I bet it's a question she may have been asked before. What would she be doing if not this? We're talking about green. We'll be right back. You're in the transporter room.
and welcome back to the Transporter Room. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb, along with Don Ennis. We got Jen Fry of Jen Fry Talks holding it down in the equity tip in college sports here with us. And Jen, in four years, you've built a business that is making headway in colleges large and small across this country. Before then, you you were a star you were a star volleyball player at the college ranks in your own right. There are still people down south around Montevallo, Alabama way who talk about you. Uh, you were a head coach at Norfolk State. You coached you coached at the Division One level. You were part of a of a team that made a national championship final for the first time in their school's history in women's volleyball. You did a lot. You've done a lot in a short while. And now you've built this and now you're building this push for equity. And you did it with your own two hands. But I'm just wondering, what would you be doing if not if you weren't doing what you are now? That is the most difficult question. I remember when my mom was alive, I asked her, I was like, what did I want to be when I grew up? And she was like, yeah, you really never wanted to be anything. <laughs> I never had like dreams, I guess. And I don't know, you know, I probably would still be coaching because for me, the thought of, of helping young women through college was one of the best things of helping them learn to navigate it, learn themselves. So I would more than likely still be a college volleyball coach. I couldn't, I really don't have a clue what else I would do. And I think that was one of the scary things of when I left coaching was like, I had this, you know, sometimes as coaches were thought to think that this this skill set can't um, transfer, right? It's not transferable. And the reality is our skills are so transferable. And so that's one of the biggest things is that realizing my skills are transferable and I can do it. I don't have like any other dreams of maybe being like a world traveler and getting paid to travel the world. That would be amazing, but that's kind of it. Now, one, the thing that attracted me to even contact you and do the story was actually watching was watching a TED talk that you did a couple of years ago. And you talked about growing up in Arizona and you described yourself as quote, that musty kid you saw playing around with the twig and berries in their hair, playing sport. How, how much did sports matter and why did sport matter so much? And how did those experience power what you're doing now? I mean, sport is who I am, right? It's the foundation of everything. I am a competitive person by nature. Um, I mean, sport allowed me to figure out what I loved. You know, I played Pop Warner football when I was like 11. My mom literally was like, okay, you want to play? Go do it. My mom never said no to me in terms of like, I wanted to go try stuff or do stuff. And so it really, I mean, it shows you in a way who you really are how are you through adversity how are you when you make mistakes how are you when other people make mistakes how are you when things don't go your way how are you when you train to be the best and you come up short right like it, it teaches you all of these things about yourself how do you learn to work with others from different ethnicities cultures you know religions it teaches you so much about yourself i think that um can't be taught any other way, right? You have to learn to work together for a team and a team goal that each of you have to do your part to succeed, right? Football, basketball, volleyball, like you can't literally keep the ball yourself and win the game. You have to have people in basketball rebounding, assisting you, all these things, volleyball. You literally have to have two other contacts before you can do something. And so I think sport just really, um, 
taught me who I am and really shaped me to be who I am. And also when I got into coaching and I did some officiating, I tried to coach and officiate against the type of player I was. Because if you can imagine, I had a mouth on me. I had a mouth. And so I really tried to like coach against the player I was and, and make sure that I was teaching my students, my student athletes to be better teammates than anything. I think that tends to get lost in competition. So when I even coached the 18th team last year, I really focused on what does it mean to be a good teammate? Because being a good teammate can help your team. And those are things that we didn't even realize. So That's something you and I have in common about having a big mouth. Um, I was relentlessly bullied as a child, um, mm -hmm. being effeminate, being perceived as a boy. And I would talk back. I would give back and it just, you know, the fist kept flying. I remember at one point being underneath a pile of boys and one boy whispering in my ear, just shut up and they'll stop. And it's a lesson I taught to my children because um, uh, my oldest was bullied because of me, because of me coming out and it broke mm -hmm. my heart that he would be picked on, but he learned the lesson. He would just be immutable. He would just ignore them. He would not pay attention would not give them the satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And it's a lesson that a lot of people, you know, uh, I learned much too late in life. I'd like to know what you're doing next. You mentioned that uh, you're on the, in the process of a big move, but what other projects do you have in the works? Other than doing my PhD, <laughs> that, that little thing. So currently um, I'm in my last semester of coursework for my PhD. I'm doing it in geography. So I'm looking at my dissertation is gonna be on the ratio experiences of professional black volleyball players overseas. So that is um, what I'll be doing my dissertation on. So currently I'm reading for classes and also trying to get more articles and reading for comps. So that is kind of the other big project I'm doing that has kind of put all the small projects on hold because I, you know, I got, I've, I've come too far and done these classes and moved to Michigan to um, not finish this darn PhD. So that's my biggest thing right now. Sounds like you're just, you're just going to continue. You're just going to continue and press on. So what are you doing when you're not working? That is what I'm trying to learn is this idea of relaxation. And, um, you know, luckily we're moving to um, a townhome in Baltimore, right near Harbor East. So I'm hoping I can get out and walk more and kind of be outside in a more walking area. Um, I read a lot. It's kind of funny. I just tend to watch volleyball on TV. Um, I'll put it on when I'm, you know, doing work or reading. Um, but I'm also trying to figure out what that is because, you know, when you're doing a PhD, there's so much reading. And my boyfriend loves, he loves watching TV. He has all his TV shows, but you know, y'all will, y'all will understand this. You know, back in our time, a show came on once a week. You had to wait for that slot knowing that if you miss that 7 p.m. on Thursday, you done missed the episode, right? Sucks for you. You knew you had your slots. Now on Netflix, you'll have four seasons on there. So the ability of just watching one episode is gone. It's out the door. Because it's like, okay, I'm just gonna watch one more episode, I swear. I'm gonna watch this, this last episode, I'm turning it off. I, but there's only like three more episodes in the season. I can just finish watching these three episodes and then I'll be done. And now it's two o'clock in the morning. And so this is why I don't watch TV because the ability to suck you in for large amounts of time is, is just traumatic. So I'm trying to find 
some kind of hobbies that allow me to not have to have that commitment level, but that mean that I'm not um, online, I'm not on social media, but I'm just kind of off being able to just do what I want to do. This has been a real treat. We don't often get someone of your caliber, not only of education, but of activism and excitement. Really excited to have met you this way. I hope that we can actually meet once this is all over yes. in person. Maybe we'll go to Camden Second Yards, that. taking a baseball game, one of the best places to see a baseball game. I would love to sit and watch a watch a good college volleyball match with you. I think that would, I I mean, especially to get a coach's perspective. You know, I got one last question for you. Mm-hmm. So my 14-year-old son is about to become a junior varsity volleyball player. Yay! What advice do you have for him? He's tall, he's lanky, he's really new at the whole sport, but this is the sport he's chosen after playing Oh, basketball and soccer and baseball and never really being thrilled by any of those. He's really excited about volleyball. Um, Don, does your son know how to dunk? I think he's learning. Okay, so the reason I asked that is the footwork for alley-oop is the same as the footwork for approach. Left, right, left. So there's that transition from volleyball to basketball. And I would just say really, A, like be a really good teammate like, like first and foremost, like just be a good, and what does like, and asking like, what does being a good teammate mean? And I think understanding that there's going to be a learning curve, right? As a former athlete, we always forget how bad we were, right? I coached a 50. I don't. <laughs> right. I coached. I don't 50. either. <laughs> and I literally asked my mom and I, like, I remember calling her and being like, oh my gosh, they're, I can't believe how bad they're. And she was like, Jen, you were that bad. And I was like, no, I wasn't. She was like, you were, I had to watch yeah. it. Yeah. And so he's going to have to have a learning curve and, and acknowledging that, like, just to keep trying, it's going to be frustrating. You know, he's going to hit balls out. He's going to hit balls in the net, but just to keep trying, keep being aggressive because that's how you learn. You don't learn being super passive and just, you know, passing the ball over the net. Cause it's easy. You learn in, like being aggressive and figuring out what works for him. So being a, a good teammate, understanding there's a learning curve and to not stop being aggressive. Great advice. And I, I think you could have put that into almost anything in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, lastly, can I say, I just really appreciate you um, allowing me in your space as a cisgendered person. You know, this space to me is is very special. And I think um, the fact that you allowed me to be here on your, your podcast, I'm very appreciative of it. I'm appreciative I was able to chat with you all. Um, that means a lot to me because y'all space at this point needs to be protected with how much, you know, we're seeing constantly going and how much y'all are always having to fight just for your rights. And so to allow a cisgendered person here, I, like I said, I, I can't say how much I really appreciate it. Well, you're always welcome well, you're here. Always, well, we want you back. Yeah, absolutely. That's one way of showing you. And I'll tell you something else. As a trans woman, I always say being trans is like the fifth or sixth most interesting thing about me. <laughs> you're just another woman to me. And I'm hoping I'm mm-hmm. just another woman to you. Carly yeah. is a special kind of woman. She is a woman above <laughs> me, and beyond. Stop it. Above stop and it. beyond. Stop it. I'm just, hey, I am because you were first. I'm just, we're going to put it out there. No, no, no. If you, to all the people, if you don't know, if you don't know Dawn Ennis and where she plays in, in this struggle, then you need, you better ask somebody. You better do, you better hit Google. You need to do I, some I'm research. actually happy if they don't. <laughs> No, but the but no, but the Google's thing is not my friend. No, but but Jen, 
I want to get. I also want to give some give give some flowers to you for what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, please do. For what you're doing, not just in not just in this one issue, but in all the issues, because too often sport too often sports is seen as the toy chest. Sports is seen as just bread and circuses. When the reality show, when history has shown that oftentimes what we do in athletics has been the vehicle for the conversations being had. And I, and you know, you hear all these people talk about sports is not political. No, sports is supremely political. Life is political. Just like Don and I being sci-fi fans, when people say, don't put your politics in sci-fi. What do you think is, what do you think is the predominant theme of science fiction? It's political and who we are and who we aspire to be and who we just need to admit that we really are before we can get to what we aspire to be. So no, thank you for what you're doing. And yes, we want you back here. All right, set coordinates for Baltimore. Beaming down, thank you, Jen, and you keep putting up the good work. Thank you, friends. You know, it's funny, Carly. Jen was just like you pictured it in the story you wrote about her. It's like her words in her article just came to life. I'm so glad you wrote that. I'm so glad you arranged for us to meet her in the transporter room. Well, it's just good just to give another, like you like you always talk about passing in the mic. This is a voice that needs to be heard. And I think, and that's one thing, like I said, we have to, I mean, one thing she's doing is bringing, bringing a lot of equity issues to the forefront in sports, especially in collegiate sports that haven't been brought before. And those things are important. Those voices are important, especially now that we're having the debates over what sports will look like in a post-COVID world. And we've recently seen, like, with all with all the programs that have been canceled and the number of students, especially LGBTQ collegiate athletes, who are stepping to the forefront to try and save their sports and bring equity back to their programs in this time. Voices like Jen's are critical to what we're going to be seeing in the years ahead. So tell me this. What have you been binging? Because I'm going to tell you that I just finished over the weekend the last episode of Fringe. I've been binging the seasons over the last couple of weeks, and I'm so sorry it's over. And it's funny because it's been years since I watched it, and I just love, love, love the whole story of Fringe and how it evolved and all the interesting twists and turns. I have so many questions, but, you know, now it's over. Now time for something new. What do you recommend? Well, I got a tip. I got a tip from from another podcast I'm grooving to, Sci-Fi Sisters, a group of a group of black women who love science fiction do a podcast on it. They they tipped me off to an excellent documentary called Women in Motion. And I I actually like watched it like last week and it gave me another history of our another history of our space program that I didn't know. We all know that a certain Lieutenant Uhura <laughs> broke ground, and a certain actress named Nichelle Nichols broke ground in the original series of Star Trek. But I didn't know that after Star Trek ended, she worked for she worked for NASA, and the and the PR media firm she started, her first client was NASA, and NASA's I and it and the goal was and. It all began from doing work with NASA, and she was asking them, okay, you, you're starting the shuttle program. Where are the astronauts who look like me? 
And NASA, where are the technicians who work like me? Where's ground control who looks like me? Why doesn't this, why, why are we still all white guys? This is not Mercury anymore. And NASA said, I agree with you. Help, uh, how, hey, help us recruit people. So they hired her firm to go out and she literally went to 200 colleges and gave 200 talks in the space of like a year and a half. And because of her efforts, the following people were recruited to the space program. Guy and Buford. Wow. Ronald McNair. Mae Jemison. Thousands of thousands of black, indigenous, Asian American technicians, technicians and and crew and crew people, guidance, ground control. Now, basically, Nichelle Nichols integrated NASA. Yeah. Rest in peace. And it was a beautiful, no, it was a beautiful, beautiful documentary. And I'm going to give you one part that I didn't realize as well. And I'm not going to give it all away, but I'm going to at least tell the setup of the story. She was always, she became close to many personnel at NASA and many of the astronauts were personal friends. She was especially close to Judith Resnick. Hmm. Judith Resnick, as you recall. Yeah. And Judith Resnick, as you recall, was on Challenger. Yeah. STS 51 L. And all I could say is that that part of the documentary, she talks about the friendship at length and it, and it just tugs at the heartstrings. And the other thing I've been binging, I finally got around to binging the Apple TV series for all mankind. Yeah. I've been hearing you talk about that, which is an alternative history of the space race that begins with the Soviets getting to the moon first. Wow. But, okay, I haven't seen but that. what, but what happened, it's interesting the way, and a lot of people panned this series. I heard a lot of negative things about it, but I watched it for myself and I said, if you panned this series, two words, lens crafters. This was smart. It's well written. The history's really good and plausible because I'm, I'm a big fan of alternative histories and the history has to be plausible. And I, I will go back and read actual read the actual history and read documents to see, okay, how plausible was this? For all mankind could have could have really happened that way. And the idea was it brought in, a, it brings in not only just the history of, of space exploration during that time, and it also brings in things such as how it affected society. Because the whole idea is, in the first season, it shows how basically NASA was forced to integrate. How NASA was forced to say, no, we have to, we have to uncover every rock. In a sense, it was, it was hidden figure squared. That's what it was at one level. And now we're into season two and season two takes place in the shuttle era in the 1980s, in the 1980s. And by that time, not going to give it all away, but let me put it this way. This showed what happens if NASA was never defunded after Apollo and it would have been a wild future. Oh, by the way, we would have had some different presidents. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but the people (laughs) running this country were very, very different. For example, I'll, I'll give you one free one. Ted Kennedy was elected president. I, I don't know. Okay, you need I'll to read it out. No, you, you know need to check news? this out. Star Trek Picard is back in production. <laughs> Season two, it's coming. I wonder what will happen next, though. Will it be Star Trek Discovery? Will it be Star Trek Picard? Will it be Lower Decks? Will it be Strange New Worlds? I mean, it's wonderful we have this feast of Star Trek. I just wonder what's next. Well... I know one thing that's coming with Picard in season two. Guinan's back. Yep, Guinan's back. And I, and I, I wonder if they're going to explore that relationship that they hinted at 
between Seven of Nine and Rafi, played by Michelle Hurd. I would love to see that relationship expanded. Uh, well, you know what? In this Star Trek universe, everything's in play. Roddenberry's vision continues. Carly, I have enjoyed today's episode. I look forward to next week. We have Bryn Tannehill on deck, ready to beam up to the transporter room next oh. week. I'm. I'll admit, I am. I'm honored that she, I'm honored that that she's going to be on our transporter pods. I am honored to, to that. I mean that. This is a leader and an icon in the community, and an author, and she's written and a an book. Activist and an advocate and a mom, and a partner and just an amazing person. She's also a, a former Navy pilot, and on top of all that, she's an incredible statistician and researcher. Brilliant mind. I can't wait. So join us next week here at the Transporter Room. Steady as she goes. Live long and prosper. See you next week.